0: Mr. Lauder said that, sadly, he had had to fire people in his career. Sadly, I've been fired in my career. (laughs) That's a a, a hell of a lot worse you take it from me. (laughs) Anyway, I'm delighted to be here. I'm pleased that I was asked to be on this program. I, I want to express my appreciation to Wayne and Kathy Reynolds for including me. To each of you for be, for being here. How much what, what how much time do I have? Ten. Ten what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ten minutes. That includes questions? Yes. You like to... Well, hell I haven't spoken for ten minutes in years. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going to tell a couple of stories, but uh, see if I can get through them rather quickly to kind of make a point or two. Uh, In 1968, before most of you were born, uh, October 68, Lyndon Johnson's office called when he was present and told me that the president wanted to see me in his bedroom the next morning. And I said, uh, well, I can't make it tomorrow. Uh, uh, Next morning is Helen's 50th birthday. He said, well, I said, I'll make the next day. He said, fine. He called back about two minutes later and said, the boss said, come on in and bring Helen with you. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, and by the way, the thing's going on around here, so bring a tux and have her bring an evening dress. Uh, maybe you will be included in one of those things. And so we went in and I went upstairs, Johnson's bedroom, about 9 30 about 7.30 the next morning. And he gave me a hell of the way Hubert Humphrey's campaign was being run in Texas and told me how it ought to be done. He was right. I was wrong. Uh, but I was so angry I could kill this uh, fellow, drag my wife up there to get the hell kicked out of me. But as he'd finished that, and before he sort of ushered me out of his bedroom or sent me out of it, uh, he said, by the way, Bob, uh, what do you think of my Asia policies? It's Vietnam time. And I stood there and told this man every single thing that I thought he could possibly want to hear, not one single word of which did I really believe. And as I was telling it, I was ashamed, but not ashamed enough to tell the truth, too weak and intimidated, too inexperienced. Twenty years later, almost. Uh, Mike Deaver called one day when he was helping President Reagan on his business, great help to him. Deaver, you remember, was on the panel yesterday. Deaver called and said, Bob, uh, President and Mrs. Reagan, we're going the other side pretty far now between uh, Lyndon Johnson and and, uh, Ronald Reagan, and he said, President and Mrs. Reagan would like you to come upstairs to the bedroom tonight and to their private quarters tonight and uh, meet with them and uh, I said, for what? He said, they want to get your opinion on his problems he's having right now. You recall that the question of laundering money, or money being laundered, and uh, arms being sold and traded uh, for hostages, and and President Reagan was getting bad information, and had a, for the only time in his life he really had a bad press, and it was deteriorating badly, and a fellow named Don Regan was his chief of staff. And uh, I said, well, Mike, do they want to hear the truth? If not, I don't want to be there. And I stopped and told him that story I just told you and said, hell, I don't want to go through that again. I've felt dirty ever ever since I did that. He said, no, he may not want to hear the truth, but she wants him to hear the truth. And she doesn't think he's getting it. So I said fine, and I went upstairs uh, that evening. And Mike Beaver was there, and President Ms. Reagan was there, and they also had uh, a former Attorney General, who was a close friend of, of uh, Don Regan, the Chief of Staff, and he was in the room. And- After Reagan gave about a fifteen minute statement, President Reagan of what he what he thought was really taking place, most of which was inaccurate because he was getting poor information, not because he intentionally wanted to mislead anyone. But his staff wasn't giving him the correct information. So in as he finished, after about twenty minutes of that, he turned to the other fellows there, a very distinguished former attorney general, as I said, in the Republican Party and close friend of of, uh, Don Regan, by the way, and he said, well, Don, I guess, uh, uh, he said, not to Don Regan, he said the other fellow, "Said I guess you agree with me, and I said, uh, and he said, uh, well, as a matter of fact, uh, I do, Mr. President, I think it's all being blown up, it's uh, making a lot out of this, and I remember when Eisenhower had u U2 problem and somebody else had a different problem and said, this will blow over in a week or two or three and the press will be off on another case and, uh, and I just think you ought to keep doing what you're doing and stay with it you're on the right course. President Reagan smiled very benignly and very sweetly and nicely because he's a nice man and said to me Bob I guess you agree too and I pictured myself almost 20 years earlier lying through my teeth to a President of the United States when he asked for my advice the only, the only compensation about when I lied to to President Johnson and told him the untruth was that I knew he really didn't give a damn about my opinion on anything, (laughs) and I I couldn't hurt anything, believe me, he had no interest in what I thought, he just wanted to hear what he wanted to hear, and he picked the right weak fellow to deliver it to him. But anyway, uh, so I then said, that I told Ronald Reagan and Mrs. Reagan that story. And uh, I said, I told Mike Deaver that you wanted to hear the truth. Ask him, and he said, you definitely want to hear the truth, and I'm going to tell you what I think. And I gave him the truth, and he didn't like it. And, uh, and I was uncomfortable. And I looked over at Nancy, and she was smiling very benignly. But I knew she, everything she wanted him to hear, he was hearing. And she wanted him to hear the unvarnished truth. And after about an hour, we, the argument became sort of intense between us, and I finally made one remark, and he, as he would do it in a gentlemanly way, uh, to be crude, threw my ass out of the White House, and, uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> just so you'll understand it. Uh, anyway, uh, he graciously ushered me to the door, and that was that. Uh, I got home and poured myself a big vodka over a lot of rocks and was, <laughs> was sipping it and telling my wife about the experience two hours upstairs with Mike Deaver and President Mrs. Reagan and how it had ended. And then I told her what I told you. Happily, I said, uh, I didn't do what I did the last time and so forth. And so I had a little sandwich and just going to sleep, the phone rang. It was Nancy Reagan. She said, Bob, you know, uh, Ronnie always eats a big dinner and talks constantly during dinner. That's the only meal he eats, and said, tonight, he didn't say a word to me, and he didn't eat a thing, said, he's really mad at both of us. (laughs) I said, well, he ought to be mad at you. You set him up. Uh, 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 She grinned and said, and you delivered. (laughs) So anyway, it was a good discussion, and and, uh, I was grateful to her for that call, and uh, She said, Ronnie will take your advice. He won't be angry tomorrow. He never stays mad the next day. And I'll be damned if about two days later I was out west making a speech, the phone rang, and it was Nancy Reagan. She said, Bob, I just wanted to tell you that uh, Ronnie is going to fire Don Regan this afternoon tomorrow but she said, I think it's going to leak to the press this afternoon. And she kind of giggled. I said, yeah, Nancy, I'm pretty sure it's going to leak to the press this afternoon. She said, you can, of that you can be certain. And, and that's the story of, I wanted to tell it because that's a story of maturity. I, don't, I know I didn't have any more character 20 years later than I did 20 years earlier. I did have more experience. I did have more self-confidence. I had made more mistakes along the way, and uh, I felt secure. And I think that's a big part of building the kind of mental and physical and psychological approach to life that you build as you go along. You you, you can't be too impatient. You have to grow slowly. You have to make mistakes, and you certainly have to learn from them. I think. There's going to be so many opportunities in this room. I wondered what I was going to say today before a talented and talented group of people like each of you are. And uh, I decided those two stories, the story is a difference over 20 years, same fella, same experience, sort of bookends. And uh, when I think of all that went between those two bookends of my life's experience, I knew I was ready. And, uh, and I, my judgment is that, uh, that if people in this room individually learn to play to your strengths, don't be too impatient, be ready to take advantage of opportunities, but don't push too fast, you'll have tremendous success and of equal, even more importance, many of you will have opportunities to contribute to the better welfare of this nation. Thank you very much. Mrs. Charles, good morning. My name is Matthew Turner from Amityville, New York, and I'm currently a Harvard Business School second year student. My question for you would be, if you had a chance to get called to the President Bush's bedroom today, yeah, yeah. Well. what would be your advice for him in terms of foreign policy? Well. You know, I deserve that mean question because <laughs> because I earned it with insisting on this extra time. <laughs> I, uh, I I talked to pre- the current President Bush's father yesterday after he landed uh, in that plane uh, out in the ocean and uh, on the deck of that carrier, and he wasn't in. And I said to his secretary, "Tell." Mr. Bush, when he gets in, that I call to say, I don't know how I ever got mixed up in this damn fool family here. Is that one of them's landing and one of them's jumping all the damn time. And, uh, and uh, now, what would I tell him? I think I would tell him that he's done substantially the right things in many respects, that he hasn't always done them in the way that I think is effective as he could have done them. I think he could have handled his relationships uh, with the Europeans, uh, gotten the same things done. I think he was right and they were wrong, but I think the things that that he went to them for, he could have have presented his positions a bit more effectively. Uh, Not that they were wrong, but that uh, they gave the impression that this country was shoving them around and that's something you just can't do. Thank you very much.